0: everybody, in Hero Killer Country. My name is Brittany Ransom.
1: And my name is Brian Joyner.
0: And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted deep dives into the lives and the psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us, then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer go deep into their childhood lives, methodology, and of course, how they got caught. And then we get a little spooky and we learn something about cryptids and the supernatural with Brian. And instead of telling you about our Patreon this week, I want to give you the When Killers Get Caught schedule for the rest of 2021. So today's podcast is going to be the last one that you will hear in November as Brian and I go and spend time with our families this vacation. But uh, I'm also moving at the end of this month as well. Uh, by the time you all hear this podcast, it will be my last day as a kindergarten teacher.
2: Ooh.
0: I've gotten some pretty incredible opportunities this year through the podcast and content creation and... I've decided to follow those dreams.
1: We're so proud of Brittany. Oh, my God.
0: I just need a little bit of time to get situated in my new place and set that up. We're going to pick up again in the first week of December and we'll discuss some Christmas killers and cryptids. Then we are taking an end of year break from December 16 to the end of the year. We will more than likely come back in the first week of January, but we have to finagle some things because we will be recording remotely from that point. Mm hmm. But this is all good for you because we're going to be posting a visual podcast soon. That'll be up on Spotify and YouTube for the several thousand of you who have been asking us about it. We are working on new music as an intro with a producer as well. Uh, So taking off four weeks at the end of the year is more than we kind of both wanted to do. But it is going to give us some time to plan some amazing things for you and also recharge our batteries. This schedule will also be posted on the blog that's on When Killers Get Caught, the website too. So there we go.
1: Awesome. Awesome things. So there's only are- a
0: couple more podcasts left of the year.
1: Yeah. The awesome things are coming, guys. Just wait.
0: Yeah. There's some things that I'm involved in that I'm actually legally not allowed to speak about publicly right yet, but you'll learn about those in 2022.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So this one popped up on my timeline because it's happening in the area that I'm moving to. Oh. So, this week in True Crime, we have learned about the fact that in central Pennsylvania, police are currently looking for a naked man who is just approaching women, specifically in Lancaster County.
1: What do you, okay, so. (sighs)
0: So, in the last month, police have received, Lancaster County police have received five reports of a naked man approaching women on the street. Police say that a woman reported seeing a man wearing nothing but sneakers and a pandemic-style mask. You know, got to be careful about that, Rona. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, that was This one was from October 6. Uh, he was just jogging about 6 a.m. I
1: mean, she
0: ignored him, and as he jogged by her, he made a inappropriate and crass statement. Uh,
1: there it goes. Okay. Never mind.
0: But this isn't... they are different naked men doing this.
1: What? Those are just the same naked men? Nope, but
0: different men. Another naked man with short brown hair in his 20s or 30s approached a woman around 945, October 25th, at the 500 block of West James Street. She said she couldn't hear what he was saying to her.
2: Hmm.
0: So then 15 minutes after that, so that happened at 945, October 25th, mm-hmm. 15 minutes later, a woman reported... A middle-aged, heavy-set, and naked man also on that street. Police said he made an inappropriate comment, but she ignored him and kept walking. Because honestly, that's the only way you can deal with this situation. A
1: third guy.
0: No, this is the same guy. So the same guy that was two two suicidatings of the second guy. Another naked man with brown hair in his 20s or 30s made an inappropriate comment as he was running naked on the same street. But this time, this was 9 p.m. last week. Police at around 10 30 p.m., this is we're talking last week now, uh-huh. a naked man with blonde hair in his 20s or 30s approached several women. So, like, what is going on here? Mm. Are they like a unit? What's going on in Lancaster? Why are there like three different naked dudes? Or did the same guy just bleach his hair one day?
1: No, no. Uh, no. Well,
0: the Lancaster police and Mannheim Township police and also Franklin <laughs> and Marshall Public Safety, because this is happening in different areas around the region. Yeah are trying to figure out they're looking at cctv footage they have no suspects but they are telling the people of lancaster county to travel in groups Mm -hmm. be aware of your surroundings uh no texting surfing the internet while you're walking project confidence chin up eyes forward a steady pace if walking at night stay in well-lit areas carry some type of legal defense tool like pepper spray or a personal alarm right right and if you are traveling alone and you have to Alert someone of your plans and the route that you're taking. Um, and uh, if confronted, escape is usually your best option. Scream and run. Yeah. It There's says,
1: a naked man chasing me. Yeah, it says,
0: if all else fails, fight as hard as you can. Be as loud as possible. This is not the time to be timid. Yeah. It's literally what the police said. There's a
1: naked... Okay, so what? see, I'm thinking about it now. You said Franklin and Marshall. Mm-hmm. It's a college. They they might be college right ki- right.
0: That, I think that's why the 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 Franklin and Marshall College police. They're like maybe these are some college kids. Yeah,
1: it's probably but like some type then of like twenties
0: makes sense, but thirties doesn't. Thirties, you're a grown ass man. I
1: guess they'll be pledging.
0: I guess maybe. Like, I doubt they were told to talk to anybody. They were just told to just maybe do something. But this is also very illegal.
1: No, I'm pretty sure they were told to say something. Like, they're all saying something very... Yeah,
0: but whatever they're saying, it's not being reported in the paper. It's just being reported as being very inappropriate.
1: Yeah, see? They're saying something inappropriate. Right, that is
0: a college right down the road. Yeah. But I'm like, why are they going so far? Peculiar. But yeah, this definitely, like, popped up. And it was, like, yesterday on my...
1: Yeah, you did say James Street, right? Yeah. Huh.
0: Let's see. Uh, that was the, the, the more recent ones were James Street. The other one was Ross.
1: They're I don't know that area. They're in the same area. Okay. Yeah, same, I know
0: James Street because I know there's a bunch of like stores down there. Yeah,
1: James Street is like on the same Actually,
0: i'm pretty positive that there's a gym that i'm thinking about going to on james street pretty sure <laughs> i was looking up prices for gym memberships
1: yeah i'm pretty sure james street is like right across the street right where the hospital is at oh, and okay. it's and it's like on the same route to go to the college and then ross so is. i
0: wonder if there's a fraternity somewhere around there there
1: has to be there,
0: and the college is like a mile down the road yeah
1: because ross is off of that but well, yeah the
0: college definitely thinks that it's one of their oh, their students are involved
1: oh yeah definitely definitely 100 percent.
0: but yeah that's, that's that's you know local local news happening
1: that is freaking wild
0: people just a- swinging in the wind
1: <laughs> the naked mile that's probably what it, they're practicing oh, for the naked mile well, uh, what's
0: happening in your see i did a fun one
1: yeah uh-huh how
0: good is that <laughs> i'm usually the one giving all the bad news
1: you are you are well mine is if not if not funny it's not as, as funny we funnier than yours and, oh, really? And it's happening and it's not the same area, but it's happening in PA as well. Oh, That's, all this
0: Pennsylvania news. Yeah,
1: I gave you a look and I was like, you better not be talking about the same. <laughs> silly.
0: <laughs> See, here's the problem. We don't run our stories by each other on a weekly basis because we're trying to like pretty much shock the other person or, you know, tell them something that they don't know about already. Yeah. So
1: Okay, so I read this headline. You just read a headline and it just calls out to you just like, mwah. I <laughs> just right, love this. let's do this. Okay, this headline says, Cops looking for a man who keeps putting blankets on students at PA College.
0: Aww. Yes. Why is he... Okay, are they stinky blankets? No. Are they like poopy?
1: No, no, no. They're okay. just regular blankets.
0: Okay. Um, so, so wait, why are cops looking for someone doing a good deed?
1: <laughs> because... If technically, what he's doing is harassment to these college kids.
0: Are they outside in the cold? Uh, yeah. Did you fall asleep outside?
1: I don't think they fell asleep, but I guess this guy keeps... he. Okay, so the story goes, this man... See,
0: I wish this was a moment mm. when we had the cameras on. I know. The look on my face <laughs> is of utter confusion as to why... <laughs> So, why is this a bad thing, Brian?
1: Because he kept he kept trying to keep like put the blanket on a person after they said no thank you, no thank you. I don't want this blanket. And he's okay. like, "No, no, no, take the blanket. Take the blanket." And he's like, "No, no, no. I'm good. I don't need any blankets. I'm good to go." And he's like, uh, uh, "Take my blanket." So,
0: it feels very Mr. Beast. <laughs> they used to do these games where like they would go on a college campus and they would have to like interact with people and be weird mm-hmm. and then if the person like talked to them they would like give them money yeah so i'm like here take this blanket i just imagine chandler take this blanket being all weird and they're like you know try and convince the person he'd just be like here take it no take it it's weird um, it's off-putting for sure but yeah, like, yeah 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 know. It's- I would just, like, take that man's smallpox blanket and put
1: it in the trash. Yeah, at least just, like, okay, thank you for the blanket and just... Yeah, eh, I wouldn't have, like, bought it. I'd have been like, cool. But, yeah, so apparently this isn't the first time he's done it either. Okay. Uh, It's like, he's, uh, there's another college student that he tried to do the same thing to, so I'm not sure what's up with the
0: blankets. Always girls?
1: It doesn't say. It just says college student.
0: Alrighty. Uh -uh,
1: Um... It might actually be. Um, it doesn't say. I gotta look. There's a video of it, but or not of the guy, but there's a video of the, like the interview. Um, but yeah, he's being charged with harassment, and Boys they got him. They know who it is. They know the identity of this person,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they just need to like catch him. I guess doing it.
0: Time to move to another state. <laughs> or at least out of the area. I mean it's
1: happened in Pittsburgh, so I'm gonna say I think it's Pittsburgh.
0: So Pittsburgh you, Or uh what you call it? The what's the college that, Carnegie? Those are the only two colleges in the city.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, it says uh Pitts Campus. So um,
0: Okay, so it's Pit it's Pittsburgh's campus.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's that's um something that just caught my eye and I was like, huh.
0: I like it. It's funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just a random guy just wanted to Give me a blanket, but you know what? I ain't want that damn blanket.
0: Well, like so many cases this year, my TikTokers, my watchers reminded me of a case. Now, I wrote about this killer earlier this year when I did my Angels of Death series. Uh, it's like early 2021. And so when I was doing my 50 most prolific serial killers series on TikTok, someone asked me had I talked about this killer. He doesn't come up as a serial killer because of his methodology. And generally when we're talking about serial killers, we're talking about people getting a certain like thrill from the murders. It's generally a certain amount of time. Like I guess like a month in between, and then it, you know slowly ramps yeah, up. It's a, it's a up. months, yeah. Uh, sometimes I would say he was a mass killer, very peculiar. As soon as I say his name, though, you're going to know him because he's local. Okay, Charles Cullen. I do know that name. You do know Charles, Cullen? yeah. Like I said, it's, it's pretty horrible to be officially connected to like 29 murders and then that person admits to 35. But the suspicion here that's still floating around both New Jersey and Pennsylvania is that it, there are roughly nearly 400 suspicious patent deaths at the many hospitals he worked at and over 16 years. So people believe that he may have been involved with all of them. So, of course, the thought process here is what makes somebody who trained for years to save lives end up taking them? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. Charles Edmund Cullen was born February 22nd, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. to working class parents, Edmund and Florence Cullen. Charles was the youngest out of eight children, but all his siblings were adults by the time he was born. Uh, Charles Charles describes his birth as a late life mistake for his parents. His father, Edmund, was 56 years old when he was born, and he died seven months after Charles uh, was born. That was September 17th, 1960. Mm -hmm. Edmund was a bus driver, and that income was immediately sorely missed in the house. Florence was from England, and she'd immigrated to the U.S. uh, from England with her family after World War II. She was a stay-at-home mom. And Charles was definitely closer to her than anybody else. Uh, Charles' older siblings struggled a lot. There was a lot of drug addiction in the family. Mom definitely wanted to shield him from that, but it was almost impossible. She needed her older children's income to live. And they were like, well, if we're paying to live here, we get to do what we want. Mm -hmm. And so they felt it was fine to have visitors at the house all hours of the night. Didn't help that some of his older sister's boyfriends used to make fun of him. He was definitely a little bit of a loner, didn't fit in at school at all. Like I said, he got bullied by everybody, pretty much, the sister's boyfriends. (laughs) At school, he gets bullied there. He's, you know, gangly and skinny.
1: He has no real place to hide. (laughs) Mm,
0: The few times he attempts to fight back at school, he gets in trouble, and that further isolates him. Because that's how it seems to happen in schools. Mm. I don't understand. The first time he would try and kill himself, he was nine years old. Oh, wow. This will be the first of nearly two dozen attempts. He mixed together the chemicals from his chemistry set and milk and drank it. It was unsuccessful, but people were very alarmed that a child so young is attempting suicide. And for once, Charles was the center of attention. And that was kind of a nice feeling for a kid being ignored by everybody around him. Mm -hmm. At school, however, when people found out about it, that made him the weird kid. And he had even less friends than before. My fifth grade, Charles is 11 years old. The bullying gets worse. The only really good thing that happened to him that year was that he wrote a book called Infinity Years will Never Know. And it's about a kid who grows up in a world where everything is meaningless.
2: Hmm.
0: He, like so many other lonely kids, was really into books. And he got into Dostoevsky as a teen which is kind of heavy for a teenager. <laughs> uh, he got he really liked Crime and Punishment and it was his favorite book. And for people who don't know what Crime and Punishment is about, it's about a man in St. Petersburg, Russia, who's poor. He makes a plan to kill a pawnbroker. And in that book, the man, his name is Russ Ruskolnikov, struggles with the moral implication of killing for what he needs to live a better life. And he very much kind of internally there's an internal conflict about justifying like oh well if i kill this guy i'll go and do good things with the money and there's this ever-running theme of perhaps murder is okay if you're killing for a higher purpose which is definitely really heavy for a 14 year old to be obsessed with
1: i was gonna say like dexter
0: kind of <laughs> so charles continues through school and then in his senior year he's 17 years old he decides to play hooky one day and stay sick, stay sick. He gets a phone call. The phone call is a person on the other end of the line saying that there's been an accident and that Florence Cullen was injured. This is December 6, 1877. The hospital tells him that his mother had an epileptic fit while she was driving and Charles pretty much is like, okay, sh- all right, slams the phone down, heads to the hospital. They didn't get a chance to tell him that she had died.
2: Oh. So
0: when he arrives there, they're like, Oh, she's in the morgue. She was 55. Because he was so young, they wouldn't release like he was he was almost 18, but he wasn't 18, so they wouldn't release her body to him, mm-hmm. and his siblings just didn't seem to care that much. They were only concerned about their own lives. Really? Come on. Um, so the ultra like the hospital ended up having her cremated, and Charles definitely blamed Mountainside Hospital for taking his mother away from him twice.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: this sent him into his second suicide attempt he dropped out of school started thinking uh he started doing some things that we're gonna say are definitely very on the murdery edge of life okay his first attempt to kill someone happens at a party in 1978 so he's on the cusp of like quitting school at this point he goes to this party and all these kids at this party are his bullies
2: mm. and
0: so he goes into the kitchen and he just dumps rat poison into the community drain. I do it. <laughs> a lot of people got sick from that, but nobody died. Uh, the, his school, the neighbors, everyone was like, "Oh, he's gonna be just like his siblings. He's gonna start doing drugs and everything too." Instead, he quit school and enlists in the navy. Hmm. Nice. Now in the navy, he you know he really like got hyped up on this idea of like we're a family. Uh, And he was like, I can make the family I never had. He started to do well and so well that between April of 1978 and June of 1979, he began training exclusively as a ballistic missile technician. MTs, as they are called, operate, maintain, troubleshoot, repair and handle all security for the ballistics weapons systems on ships. It's very respected work Mm -hmm. and very important. So after he got done with that training, he was assigned to the USS Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the, U- the Woodrow Wilson was a submarine that was part of a new class of ships called Lafayette classes. They were bigger. They were better than previous submarines. They had been commissioned in 63. And it actually stayed in service until 1994. So Charles wants to create this family, right? Mm-hmm. Not happening in the Navy. So it's, and this is weird because generally, especially on a submarine, you're in close quarters. Mm -hmm. You, like, yes, there's lots of fights and stuff, but also, like, you bond with people easier there because you, it's so limited. It's smaller than even being on a regular ship.
1: Right, right.
0: But Charles didn't have any of those bonds with anybody. In fact, he got, like, the opposite of it. People thought he was weird and annoying. They started calling him Fishbelly. What the hell? uh, It's a pretty pejorative nickname. Uh, They would taunt him when they saw him. He's on the submarine for about a year. And then this report is listed in his naval record. They don't release a whole lot from his time in the Navy, but the stuff that they did release is intriguing. It's 1980 now. And someone goes to the Missile Control area He is wearing a stolen hospital gown from the medical wing, gloves, and a mask. They don't kick him off the submarine, but they do decide to send him to have a psychological assessment and determine if he's experiencing some level of emotional trauma from being on the boat for so long, being underwater for so long. Ultimately, they determine that he is... Of enough of a sound mind to go to work. Mm-hmm. October 81, they re- reassigned him to the USS Cannabis. He did start to make friends there, but not in a good way. Oh. What he realized was that everybody really likes drinking in the Navy. So he started going off ship and getting wasted with the other guys in the Navy. Nice. And he very quickly drank too much. Of course. (laughs) And he would lose his friends. He would wake up in a hospital. Mm. He would wake up in a psychiatric facility. Oh, wow. The Navy really never released this information. But Charles did tell people that he continued to attempt to kill himself while he was in the Navy. Eventually, they told him he needed to join Alcoholics Anonymous or he couldn't stay. So he, he joins. It seems to be doing all right. Uh, He's good. He gets discharged from the military on March 30th, 1984 at 24 years old, fully sober. It wasn't a dishonorable discharge, but it did come shortly after his fifth suicide attempt. So I'm thinking they were just like, maybe this just isn't the job for you. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the job is too hard on you. You need to go do something else in your life. So he goes back home to Jersey. He enrolls at the Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing in Montclair. That is the same hospital where his mother died.
1: Is is there a reason why he did
0: this? It had a program. I guess he knew it. Huh? He was one of five men in the program, and he actually really enjoyed the fact that he went to school with a bunch of women. He did really well in his classes, and it seemed like he was going to start having actual friends. In his first semester, the class president dropped out. His friends forced him to run, and he got elected to pay for college since his siblings were pretty much useless. He worked at a bunch of fast food chains. And when he worked at a Roy Rogers, he got friendly with his manager, Adrian Taub. She was different from most of the women that he knew in his life. She was driven, ambitious, a college grad, and she had a boyfriend. Hmm. When Charles found out he quit like almost immediately, but he would take his lunch breaks from other fast food places there at her job and talk to her. Eventually when she broke up with her boyfriend, he, sh- he took a shot. He was like,
1: all in, let's go. Yeah.
0: And he began like showering her with all this attention that her ex just hadn't. He presented himself as the most amazing boyfriend. He gave her flowers, gifts. And for Adrian, this was like so strange because she was like, where did this like super shy, quiet guy suddenly get all this confidence? There were some red flags for Adrian though. He would quit a job like that. And Adrian kind of rationalized that Charles was just prioritizing his education and she he wasn't going to let these minimum wage jobs, you know, control him.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And she kind of looked at him and was like, "Well, if that's the only thing that's wrong with him, and he's like the perfect boyfriend, why do I care that much?" 6 months later, they're engaged.
1: Oh my god.
0: Now just before graduation, one of Charles' older brothers named James died from a drug overdose. But Charles was kind of on the path to creating a normal life, so he didn't really focus too much energy on his siblings. He graduates from nursing school May of 1987, marries Adrian June of 1987. They have their honeymoon in Niagara Falls, and he actually gets offered a job so quickly that they leave a day early from their honeymoon. Uh, it's the St. Barnabas Medical Center. He was going to be working on the burn unit in Livingston, New Jersey. They actually were like, hey, you know, you can take more time for your wife. Hmm. But Charles was like, no, I want to come work. And it started out well, October 1987. Uh, Adrian and Charles got a mortgage. They bought a small one story house in the suburbs of Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. I wrote Pennsylvania, but I believe it's Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Okay. It was a house that needed repair, but they were going to make it their home. Adrian got a job as a computer program and it was pretty much an entry level job, but she was, it was still better than being like a, a, at a burger joint. Unfortunately they worked opposite schedules. So Adrian worked all day and Charles worked all night. Mm -hmm. And so that would prove to be very taxing on their relationship because they really never got to spend time with each other. So let's talk about Charles first nursing job. He would work here for about five years. So it's the St. Barnabas Medical Center. It was the only burn unit in New Jersey at the time. And so they got all the burn cases in the state transferred there from simple burns to like major full thickness burns, the kind of things that eventually kill the patient. Mm -hmm. Charles job was to clean the burn victims. And this is not as simple as just washing someone. You have to also, as you wash them day by day, scrape away like burn skin dead skin that's peeling off it has to be antibi- antibacterial soap it's a horrible job honestly as a first job out of a nursing program this is like real tough for most people yeah
1: i'd probably quit the patients
0: themselves are in horrible pain there's no amount of medication that can fix the fact that all of your nerve endings are just exposed all of the time <sighs> yeah and that this person now has to like peel off the bad skin Ugh. they're doing skin grafts to try and hope new skin grows Pretty much the only thing that Charles and his fellow nurses could do back in the 80s as far as pain management go was just give them more morphine. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if many people listening know this, but um, I happen to know this from two friends. uh, Well, uh, my friend and a parent who had hospice level terminal illnesses. Um, A lot of times when people are like, you know what, I'm done fighting and they know that it's imminent, what they do is you get a a pretty lethal dose of morphine. Hmm. Uh, It contributes to allowing you to die a little faster um, while your organs and other are all shutting down. So what this means for Charles and the patients on the burn unit is that a lot of times if somebody died, they weren't sure if it was from the burn injuries or because they had pushed too much morphine
1: right okay
0: because just a little bit too much and now you're spiraling downward mm-hmm. and they just never knew uh, this was <coughs> never done mal- maliciously pain management even now is very difficult for these kinds of like serious burns charles loved this job he enjoyed caring for the patient's those that improved, he got to help them, like bathe, you know, move towards bathing and eating and getting dressed themselves and becoming independent. For the other ones who were too hurt to do those things, they had to rely on him. They needed
1: him. Mm-hmm. He had that power. Mm-hmm.
0: He liked the night shift, and he even liked that the hospital was named after Barnabas, one of the apostles, because he was from a Catholic family. <laughs> he started working at Saint Barnabas. On St. Barnabas's feast day.
1: Oh, look at that. This
0: was a sign for him that this is where I need to be. That
1: serendipity right there.
0: Back at home, though, things aren't going so good. Now, he had always been honest, honest with Adrian that he was a recovering alcoholic with serious depression. But she definitely thought that that was, like, behind him. Because she met him when he was sober mm-hmm. for, like, four years.
1: Right, right.
0: But from the job... That he was doing is very common for nurses to have some drinks. A lot of people in the medical field after going through something terrible.
1: When does he have time? He's working overnight.
0: It sounds like he's leaving work and
1: oh, popping gone. the
0: bottle at like <laughs> six in the morning. Oh, my God. Um, he was slipping back into the old spiral. He picked up drinking again. He was not going to AA anymore. Adrian was just like, I don't even want to be around him right now. Mm-hmm. And she, just, she didn't leave because she was like, it's probably because this job is so terrible. And maybe if he gets a different job, you know, he doesn't listen to people crying in pain all day. It'll change. He'll go back to being normal. Right. But Charles was, in reality, just slipping back into his full-blown alcoholism. He was hiding booze in his locker in a basement at work. Goddamn. Oh, he would sit and drink in the boiler room on shift. Only a month after starting the job at St. Barnabas. He decides, I'm gonna go get another nursing degree. Goes to Keene College. So between work and school, he's never home. And honestly, Adrienne is relieved. (laughs) She's just like, you know what? Never mind.
1: I don't gotta deal with this. Okay, let's go. Now,
0: somehow, despite her hesitations with his behavior, she gets pregnant. He must have been home at some point. (laughs) When at least one day. Because her daughter, Shauna, is born in 1988. Oh, my God. Now, 1988 was a busy year for Charles. Has a baby. Adopts two Yorkshire Terriers. Kills somebody for the first time officially. Oh,
1: excuse me. What? Was that the last one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the first thing is that Adrian noticed that Charles had converted all of their attention that he had been giving on her to the baby. Mm-hmm. And her assessment was, well, he might be one of those people who can really only love one person at a time. And, like, if I have to be in this relationship, at least he loves my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she also realized his pattern of he gets really into something, he loves it, and then he loses interest. This happened with their relationship, the house, the dogs. Uh, yeah, the, the weirdness with the dogs happens because one day Adrian has to leave and go back to work. She comes home and one of the puppies is gone. And he's like, oh, it ran away while well, I took the puppies for a walk while shauna was sleeping and she was like hold up you left the baby in the yeah. house yeah
1: first of all baby alone second of all how my dog go
0: well charles was like i don't understand and he's like also it's like it's just a dog like why are you so like freaked out it's about not it?" Not just a dog well so then one day there was a a dog their neighbor's dog was named queenie and Queenie would escape, but she wouldn't go anywhere. She's a neighbor's dog. Mm-hmm. She would just go into the Cullen's backyard and be like, I really like this backyard.
2: Right, right. Yeah,
0: well, one day Adrian comes home from work and their neighbor is in the house trying to talk to Charles and just sobbing because she had been found dead in the alley between the two families' houses. And the vet had told her that Queenie had been poisoned.
1: Oh. Uh- Oh, SpaghettiOs.
0: Then she comes home one day from work and she finds all these <laughs> photos that she had taken of Shauna at daycare and they had been cut up and all the little boys in the pictures had all been cut out of them. Hmm. And that made Adrian feel really weird. Yeah. And she sat and thought about it and she realized that at this point she was pretty much operating like a single parent and that her husband had probably killed all of these animals. And she was kind of scared. Um... Thankfully, she realized that when he was home, the only time she would even know he was there was that she would see his car. He would go in the basement and just drink there, and he stayed down there, and he like slept down there. And she lived as if he almost wasn't around at all. Oh, damn. What she didn't know was that Charles had already crossed that line with people. So on June 11th, 1988, Charles killed 72-year-old John Yengo. He later admitted that Yengo was not his first victim, but that he had killed another man who suffered from HIV, but New Jersey has never been able to figure out who that victim was. He used the lidocaine in Yango's death. Uh, just essentially what he was doing was sabotaging the IVs by adding in other medicines. So in this first one, he used lidocaine. But lidocaine is a medicine that they keep stock of.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so he has to change his operation fairly quickly, even from the first one.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Now over the next couple years, he's still doing his job and he's doing it mostly all right, but they do recognize that he's becoming a little bit unstable. He's making mistakes. He's misfiling stuff. He's not filing medication the way it should be. One time he gets written up for withholding medication. He gets a boatload of speeding tickets outside of work. February 11th, 1991, a nurse named Pam Allen finds a bat, an IV bag, and she takes it to the desk of the hospital's wrist manager, Karen Sidon. The port on the bag looked like it had been used, but the bag itself was full and not just full. It looked like it was so full it might like pop. Oh, huh. So they contact the hospital's assistant director of security, Thomas Arnold. He sends it to the PATH lab, who discovered that the bag had a lot of heparin and saline in it, but it also had a lot of insulin. So this was the second time, the second thing that he used to try and kill people. Hmm. Three days after they get those returns back, February 14th, a patient named Anna Byers is in the critical care unit, and she's given a heparin bag. Um, Heparin is a blood thinner for people, I think. Let me double check. Because I think I had to have heparin at 1.2 when I was in the hospital. I
1: was about to say, I have no idea. I'm pretty
0: sure heparin is a blood thinner. Um, yeah. No, actually, it's an anticoagulant. Um, it's used in treatment where people who have had heart attacks and things like that. Um, it's given as an injection. Uh, boy, does it look awful. <laughs> I remember the shots. I remember the heparin shots. Because they left horrible bruises Mm. because it like makes your blood like thin out right right right. okay so i had uh, like gnarly like a big splotchy bruises on my legs and the reason why they gave it to me was because i was in the hospital for a week and they worry that you don't walk around enough right and that they're gonna be blood clots so they want to keep the blood flowing when you have to lay in bed for a long period of time
2: yeah
0: um in the case of a lot of these patients same thing So Anna Byers gets a heparin bag and within an hour, she starts reacting poorly. She's having cold sweats. She's confused, nauseous, very weak. They do a rapid blood test and see that her insulin levels spike like crazy high and they have to give her an IV of dextrose, which essentially is like dripping pure sugar back into your veins. Hmm. And this saves her life. But she proceeds to crash multiple times over the next 24 hours. She was in the hospital for a heart transplant, and they couldn't even prep her for surgery because she was so unstable. They stop her heparin IV; everything goes back to normal. They watch her stabilize. They're like, "All right, let's put her on heparin." They get a new bag. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens again.
1: Did he get all the? Which of them means damn he's bags? sabotaging
0: more than one. What the hell? He's sabotaging a lot of bags. Yeah. This goes on several more times, and it wasn't just happening on her unit either. A whole nother patient in a different area of the hospital is also experiencing the same thing. His name is Fred Belf. and it, finally the nurses are like, there is something wrong with, like, all of the heparin.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so they send all these used bags to testing. Path returns that the first bag had very tiny needle sticks near the edge of the bag it had been tampered with. Now, they looked at the patient records and saw that many patients were having the same issues as Fred and Anna. Mm -hmm. And it was happening all over the hospital at every shift. First, they thought this was a hospital mistake, patient misinformation. Maybe they had been given, you know, bad stuff. Right. When they debunked all of that, they were like, somebody here is doing this. Mm -hmm. And it it didn't take very long for them to see that only three nurses had responded to these patients when they coded. And Charles was one of them. Now, they'd already interviewed all the nurses on the wing and everybody there had been really nervous, except for Charles, who was just like, Meh.
1: that's the one you got to look out for. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: When they tried to schedule another sit down meeting with him, uh, the, the lead security guy and like a police, like a detective. Mm-hmm. Charles is pretty much like, listen, I'm doing like really important work around here and it's way more important than whatever little tiny investigation you're doing.
1: No, it's not because people are about to freaking die guy you're the one doing it
0: he wouldn't talk to them and he had no real evidence so the two security officers barry and arnold decide they're going to catch him in the act so they install cameras in the medical storage room they force stricter drug sign out protocols but they never see him in there hmm. october 1991 two more patients crash then in january of 1992 saint barnabas is just like oh, i'm sorry charles we gotta let you go As soon as Charles no longer worked for them, suddenly all these uh, blood glucose issues disappeared.
1: Oh, how curious.
0: Yeah, Charles told his wife that inter-office politics had caused him to leave and that people thought he was weird and just wanted him gone.
1: I mean, the last part was probably not that.
0: (laughs) You're right, that's true. (laughs) They did think he was weird and wanted him gone. Good So within a month, he already had a new job. Working for the Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, in the coronary care unit. Now, he told them that he quit because the commute from the other hospital was too long and he wanted to be closer to his family because he was living in Phillipsburg. Just like usual, new job brings inspiration. This job paid better. He got a chance to learn new things on the job. He was happy. His shift switched to daytime. And for the first time since they had been married,
1: they got for five years, <laughs> mind
0: you, they're on the same shift. Adrian gets pregnant again. But after the birth of their second daughter, whose name I looked for, but it is not listed. Hmm. So I'm guessing uh, when all this stuff came out, they must have really tried hard to keep her name out of the documents. She decides she's going to leave him after the second baby is born. Oh, wow. His happiness and attentiveness to the kids hadn't lasted long. He was full back into drinking. He had turned both physically and emotionally abusive toward Adrian. So in 1992, November, she makes it official and files a restraining order, too. Adrian was worried about what might happen when she had surgery the following January. Now... She didn't want him anywhere near her or the kids. So imagine her surprise. It's January 1994. She's having surgery in Warren, New Jersey. Not at the same hospital. Charles finds his way there. (laughs) He says that he got the divorce papers while he was at the Warren intensive care unit. And that really upset him. So he went to go find her. Mm. Thankfully, his ex father-in-law intercepted him and Adrian's dad went home with her and helped her heal and also watch the kids. Now, when Adrian was better, she relented on the the PFA. And she allowed him to sleep in the basement as if that. that were his bedroom since he had been sleeping wherever he could. She would regret that almost immediately. Yeah. Sorry, I said January 1994. We are not 1994 yet. We are still in January 1993. Okay. So, in January 31st of 1993, Adrian calls the police and tells them everything. The drinking, the suicide attempts, the other hospital issues, the death of the dogs. Charles is like, all that stuff is in the past and she's trying to create a paper trail saying I'm a bad father so the divorce will go in her favor. Really, Adrian just didn't know who to talk to about all this and Mm -hmm. she was scared. Charles overdoses on pills and alcohol. This was quite possibly the closest attempt he had that almost did the job. Um, one of his hospital friends, her name was Michelle Tomlinson, came to see him. She was in the process of leaving her husband and she was in like a pretty terrible marriage. And so they kind of bonded over their mutual heartache. Oh, there you go. Michelle suggested that he go to the behavioral health unit at Muhlenberg Regional Medical Center in Bethlehem, PA. Charles saw Michelle as a potential future partner. But she did not view him in the same way. She kind of viewed him as like a lost kid. She was a little older than him. And almost kind of like she was kind of stepping in as like a mom.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mullenberg was good for him. And Michelle would stop by and they would laugh and talk about stuff. And after a little bit of time, he felt good enough to leave. He decided to prepare for the divorce with Adrian on his own to save money. Not a good idea. He gets an apartment in Phillipsburg. He goes back to Warren Hospital to work with Michelle, happy, ready to do good. The same energy put towards Adrian in the beginning, he pushed it towards Michelle, and she was not interested in it.
1: No, thank you for love bomb.
0: (laughs) Yep. It it actually made her very alarmed that, like, his feelings were happening too fast. Mm -hmm. And what he's engaging in is what we call cognitive shifting. He hasn't actually healed or made any progress with any of the things that went on with Adrian. And he's just shifted every ounce of behavior that he had towards Adrian to a whole nother person. Mm. Michelle starts avoiding him at work. Ignoring his calls. She tells him she's just really busy and she has to deal with her own divorce proceedings. Instead of listening to the woman that he said he was falling in love with. He would drive up to her condo and sit and stare at the unit. Oh, my God. That then escalated to him taking a path through her neighborhood every day, hoping to see her. That escalated to him walking up to the house, hoping to see her. And then one day he noticed it was empty. He tried the doorknob. It didn't open. He tried a brick through the window.
1: So that escalated quickly.
0: Uh Uh-huh. He walked in. He, he, when no one came out to see, he climbed in, walked into her house, stood in her bedroom, and watched her sleep.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Then he left. The next morning, he called Michelle, and she answered because she was, like, freaking out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, there, there's glass in my living room. And she told him she was scared. She felt violated. And he was like, oh, no, don't worry, Michelle. That was me. Uh, I wanted to make sure you were okay since I hadn't seen you for a while. I thought maybe you might have killed yourself. uh, (laughs) Michelle called the police.
1: (laughs) Bro, no, yeah, good.
0: And so then Charles took a large quantity of his Xanax pills. And Xanax is a very fast-acting medicine. His goal was that he was going to try and pass out while he was in police custody and then the police would save him Hmm. instead what happened is he got booked given a court date and then he passed out outside of the police station
1: (laughs) sucks to suck
0: he woke up at the Greystone psychiatric hospital in morristown it was this big dull gray building that had been around for about 150 years the monotony actually kind of comforted Charles and there he found himself happy with like the schedule of people telling him what to do every day and take his medicine and go do this. Mm-hmm. Then he got a call from Warren Hospital and he was worried that Michelle had told on him and he was going to get fired. But Warren was like, yeah, every hospital in America is going through a nurse shortage right now. And to be fair, I feel like every hospital in America has been going through a nursing shortage literally since the 90s. We have never been in a place where we have had enough nurses in this country. No. Right now there's one. I remember 10 years ago when my sister going to be a nurse, there was a nursing shortage. Like, have we ever had enough nurses in America? <laughs> Maybe after World War II. Remember when there's all those pictures of all those oh, nurses yeah, yeah. running out in the street? Yeah. Maybe that's when we had enough nurses, but it's really been a long time. No,
1: because after World War II, they probably just quit their jobs. You're right. They probably <laughs> went back
0: to just chilling.
1: Oh, God.
0: Well, they knew about what happened with Michelle, and they were just like, listen, <clears throat> you're going to work nights, she's going to continue to work days, and you're just going to keep not talking to her. Mm-hmm. He was discharged by Greystone. He went back to his basement apartment. He took up gardening during the daytime, made him feel happy, nice fresh air. At night, he went back to the hospital, and they put him in the telemetry ward. This was like a transitional space between people who were in the ICU but weren't well enough to go into the main area yet. Uh, The reason why they had that was because sometimes – even though they were, like, getting better, mm-hmm. randomly an older, like, a patient who had been in ICU would just tank. And so they were close enough to the the supplies they needed to help the person. Right, right. Um, so it's pretty, it was, it sounds like actually a really cool area. I don't know if we even do that anymore in the medical ward. I know you're in ICU or you're not in ICU. I didn't know there was a middle ground. But right, yeah. Occasionally, he would see Michelle. They would crisscross. It would be a little overlap because generally you're working, with like, 10 to 12-hour shifts? hmm but he engaged in self-restraint. He did not call out her name. She never acknowledged his presence ever again.
1: Oh, awesome. Okay, cool.
0: Outside of work, outside of work. the divorce is heating up. It's spring in 1983. Adrian had told her lawyer Ernest Duh that he was a violent alcoholic that, Chris was a violent alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Chris. Charles. I knew you meant. I just gave him a new nickname. Uh, that Charles was a violent alcoholic who drank while he was watching the children, and that's why she needed a full restraining order and full custody. Charles was like, no, I'll take a polygraph and prove I'm not a liar. And the police were like, it's not a bad idea. We should do that. So they scheduled it for June 18th, 1983, two months after he'd been released from Greystone. Wait,
1: wait, hold on a sec. I'm sorry. I didn't, I don't mean to. What's that? She got, she she asked for a restraining order.
0: Okay, so you have like a partial, like when she filed the original, uh, yeah. she got an emergency restraining order. Right, right.
1: Okay, no, I get Those that. Those have a timeline. Yeah.
0: So she wants this to go from the emergency one to the real one.
1: But isn't he still living in the house? No,
0: no. Remember, he moved out to another basement apartment. Oh,
1: okay. See, that's, I got lost there. <laughs>
0: that's okay, that's okay. I, honestly, I might have edited that out. Um, who knows, but yeah, he had moved into a a different basement apartment hmm. in Phillipsburg,
1: okay, 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 I think
0: I did only mention that briefly, but yeah, he's living alone now, and he passes the polygraph test very good. However, he didn't realize that he had a he has a record. A record for stalking someone. Oh, does he now? And a court date.
1: Oh, snap. Crackle pop.
0: So they meet in court to discuss the rest of Adrian's demands. She wanted the house. She got the house. He got both the cars. They agreed to sell their oriental rugs and all of the Royal Dalton china from their wedding gifts. He was allowed to go back to her house and get the rest of his items when she was not there. Mm -hmm. And then... Adrian's lawyer was just like, yeah, so he's currently dealing with a uh, stalking, breaking and entering harassment case. So we definitely think that this partial restraining order should be upgraded to a full restraining order. And 12 days later, she got it. Good. July and August brought the case for stalking Michelle. So he went from June dealing with... (laughs) Uh, Adrian to July and then into August, Michelle's case, he was charged with stalking, breaking and entering, trespassing and harassment. He decided he was going to represent himself in this case too, but oh, he did God. not know what he was getting into. And then he had filled out his financial paperwork wrong. So they thought he made more money than he did. So he did not qualify for a public defender. He tried to find a lawyer in the yellow pages that only lasted a couple days before he like told that guy to just leave. Mm-hmm. At court, when he was trying to talk about stuff, he was, like, incoherent. And finally, August 10th, 1993, he just gave up. They allowed him to plead down to harassment and defiant trespass. He got a fine, no probation, and was told to continue not talking to Michelle. Then he went home, took as many pills as he could find, and drove himself to the Warren Hospital emergency room. At this point, suicide, attempting suicide, was almost like a comfort. Uh, he was willfully trying to end the stress in his life, but then he would get treated like he was helpless and people would take care of him. Oh my God. They pumped his stomach and they sent his ass home the same day. He drove home alone. And there was the realization that in the hospital, he was a God. He had recently stopped by the ICU and noticed a patient named Helen Dean. She was elderly, recovering from breast cancer surgery, and she was going to be going home soon. Now, she had an adult son named Larry, who was always by her side. Helen was going to be Charles' path back into murdering people. As a means to kind of alleviate the stress of his mental health. So Charles ended up going in, and he stole three doses of digoxin a medicine that slows down your heart when it's misfiring. It's used when people are having heart attacks.
2: Hmm.
0: He calmly walks into Helen's room. Later, Larry told the court that he thought something was off because Charles, Charles Cullen wasn't one of the regular nurses, and he was wearing a different color scrubs. His were white, and the people on his mom's unit were blue. Colin asked Larry to leave. Larry went and got a coffee from the machine. When he came back, his mom was alone. Mm-hmm. She told Larry that the male nurse had stuck her and pointed to a spot on her inner thigh. Larry called one of the doctors and the doctor was like, no, she wasn't scheduled for a shot. Like, are you sure she got a shot? Did you see her get the shot? Yeah. He was like, that looks like a bug bite.
2: Mm.
0: Next day, Helen gets sick. She's sweating. She's exhausted. And then her heart just stops. Larry Dean is inconsolable and he is like something wrong just happened here. Yeah,
1: Pissed off.
0: Well he talked to his mom's oncologist and the oncologist was like she wasn't in scheduled for any injections. He talked to all of the nurses and they were like oh this, the guy you're talking about sounds a lot like Charles Cullen. Larry then called the Warren County prosecutor the police opened an investigation the medical examiner tests His mom for a hundred different lethal chemicals. And the one thing they didn't think to test for was digoxin. Helen's death is filed as natural causes. Charles gets paid leave uh, while they do the investigation, which for a little while he was like, this is kind of fun. And then he's at home by himself in this basement for so long and he tries to kill himself again. Mm,
1: This isn't so fun now. Yeah. This time <clears throat> he gets
0: taken to the Carrier Clinic in Belle Mie, New Jersey. When he recovers, uh, the Warren County prosecutors are at his bedside and they want to talk to him. See, while he was at the recovering from the suicide attempt, two other patients on the floor who were linked to him, mm-hmm. they looked into those two. See, March 9th in 1993, Lucy Magavero, she was 90 and then July Right when all that stuff was going on with the court case, Mary Natoli, 85 years old, had also been get, had also died and they were on his roster. Hmm. So one happened before uh, the, the medical cases. And then the other two, one happened right in the middle of while it was all jacked up. And then one happened afterward. Okay. So they had now found three of his patients or people that he had been seen near.
1: Right. They are all dead.
0: Who were dead. So the the prosecutors are like, "We're gonna bring a polygraph. You need to do this right now." And he was like, "Okay." See, at th- at some point, he had figured out how to beat it. And uh, for those who want to know how this happens, at least in the older machines, they have to set a baseline. Mm-hmm. So during the baseline, they ask you questions. You really see this happen in uh, of all the things. The uh, movie with Brad Pitt and George Clooney, uh, Ocean's Eleven.
1: Oh, right. Okay.
0: The one character has a pin in his shoe and he steps on it whenever they ask him the baseline questions. So it creates a baseline where you are stressed. So they think that your basis, your base for behavior is stress. therefore when they finally ask you the stressful questions and you react similarly Mm
2: -hmm.
0: it comes across as normal somehow on his own he figured out how to do that i don't think he was physically hurting himself i just don't think he didn't he cared at all i think his baseline was so apathetic (laughs) that there was nothing they could really get out of him
1: (laughs) probably me (laughs) yeah yeah his baseline
0: was just yeah whatever people die okay (laughs) Yeah, my name's Charles Cullen. Whatever.
1: (laughs) That would be. be But that's like the
0: idea. Of course, in that movie, they made it like you know extra. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, of course, yeah. The concept of like, if you can, if you can figure out how to, dupe, the the base when they ask you the first questions. That's why when you do take a polygraph test, Mm -hmm. they don't want you to move at all. They put all these things on your arm and your like neck and on your chest, Hmm. and you're not supposed to move at all now that's modern though i don't know if they were doing all of that 30 years ago
1: Hmm. i'd probably still and even
0: though oceans 11 is like a modern version of the old one Mm -hmm. the original does still take place in the 70s so it's very it might have been possible that they could also trick it back then too there
1: you go my stress level is always high so
0: (laughs) (laughs) listen uh doc listen uh copper I always want to die so uh I don't know what you want me to tell you so let's go I guess just some millennial humor out there for (laughs) y'all but regardless he beats his test there's no evidence and there's no admission of guilt so the prosecution can't do anything but they're like something's wrong with this guy Warren Hospital does not want to bring him back like, they have nothing to prove any of the bad feelings anybody has. But they're like, you know what? Just keep on taking that paid leave.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just want to see something real quick.
0: It extends, like, into the new year, 1984 But Charles has already decided he doesn't want to work there anymore. He needs another job, though, because he has to pay for these child support payments because the judge had based the payment on when he was working 80 hours a week at the hospital. Mm. And his paid leave was only a normal shift, 40 hours a week. So he decides to go to Hunterdon Hospital in Flemington, New Jersey, a very small nonprofit medical center. Flemington is a cute little town. I don't know why you would go there when you're so obviously off. I feel like it'd be easier for you to get lost at a big hospital. Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. Versus
0: like a small little tiny town with like not that many people in a tiny little hospital. Especially if you
1: start killing people at a hospital, they are just going to know.
0: Right. Well, so what he did next was actually vital to his plan. He gets his PA nurse's license. This is the reason why he didn't go to jail as soon. He would begin a process of going back and forth across the border. When Mm -hmm. he was being investigated in New Jersey, he would be working in In Pennsylvania when he was investigating Philadelphia he'd be working in New Jersey and because states never share their information unless it's on a federal level Mm -hmm. and I mean even local towns don't share information like that everybody was doing their own little individual investigations against Charles Cullen until one guy later on decides to begin going from place to place creating a timeline but we're not even close to that yet Things go well in Flemington. He dates an unhappily married nurse named Kathy. They have some fun. October 1994, he gets an award for his hard work. At his performance review in October 1995, his supervisor, nurse Marjorie Wellen, describes him as a patient advocate, cares about patient welfare, organized, very giving of his time, so much to offer, very bright, witty, and intelligent. She also pointed out that he never made any medical errors so this is not like barnabas where he was making mistakes left and right right
1: i mean that's because he was drinking all the time too true yeah. probably
0: because he was wasted all the time at work mm-hmm. charles just couldn't stay happy though so anybody watching him it seemed like he was this incredible guy but he was back in the dark place and whenever he goes back in the dark place people start dying starting january 21st 1996 he killed 500 patients. leroy sin 71 Earl Young, 75. Catherine Dext, 49. Frank Mazico, 65. And Jesse Eichlin, 81. All with the same drug, digoxin.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, I do want to make another uh, point here. Because some people are aware that there are lots of different kinds of angels of death. Hmm. The ones we hear the most about are doctors with a God complex. They try and make the patient code... And then they resuscitate the patient and then, look, I'm so amazing. I saved someone's life.
2: Right. Yeah. Um,
0: we also have others that say that they're helping patients who are in critical condition by killing them. None of these were Charles. And I'm going to hold true to this. I Later on, when he tries to defend himself, I feel differently. This is Brittany's personal opinion here. <laughs> I think he was 100% just a killer with access to killing people underhandedly. Yeah. I don't even know if I would call him an angel of death by traditional definitions of that word, of that, that phrase.
1: No, he's just a serial killer.
0: Whenever he got upset or felt like life was just dragging him down, he got his serotonin by killing somebody. And he got away with it because he was pretty much unsupervised. He'd give these drugs while he was on duty. Then when the person would die, he would order lab tests to make it seem like he really wanted to know what happened to his patient. Mm-hmm. Finally, the nurse supervisor for the whole floor, Whalen, noticed something was going on with Charles and she called him into the office and she was like, listen, if this happens again, I'm going to go to the police. Charles breaks up with his girlfriend, Kathy, and resigns. Nurse Waylon was even willing to let him work per diem, but she was going to watch him. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want that. So he he gets a job at Morristown Memorial Hospital in Morristown, New Jersey. He's only there. He's not even there a full year. November 96 to August 97 before he gets fired for failure to administer the correct drug. First go, they let him go. Oh,
1: damn. See, why is nobody else like this? February
0: 1998, Liberty Nursing Home and Rehab Center in Allentown, PA, hire him. That lasts only until October when he was fired for breaking a patient's arm. And somehow he tried to paint himself as a victim here. So they do an internal investigation and the people are like, no, no, this was a valid reason to terminate. Yeah. The patient's family didn't press charges. So he ended up avoiding the police again. Surprisingly. Right? If my mother or grandmother is in a facility and you break her arm, buddy, what the fuck? No,
1: first you're going. First we're going to fight. Thank you.
0: <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna be waiting outside in the employee parking lot for you.
1: you Excuse me, me, sir. Yeah. Why are you
0: beating up old ladies? Oh. I'ma beat you up.
1: Mm.
0: He also files bankruptcy in eighty eight, a uh, ninety eight, and he gets a job at the Easton Hospital Intensive Care Unit in Easton, PA. That's November of 1998. He also starts working overnight shifts at the Lehigh Valley Hospital in Salisbury Township, New Jersey. So he is working virtually all day long at Mm. this point. Ottomar Schramm dies, 78 years old at Easton. Matthew Mattern, 22 at Lehigh Valley. Oh, why? He has two patients who are 22. One's 22 and one's 21. That's what I'm saying. He's going to give you all these bogus ass reasons for why he did this. And none of them match up with what he actually did.
1: Yeah, because he was going after order. Now this is- he was
0: saying, oh, I went he, he, later on. He tells the police, oh, I was trying to help people. I'm like, why would you kill a 21 year old who was there? Because he was having his spleen repaired. Yeah. Why would you kill a 22 year old who was there for like a routine thing? Well, early 2000, Charles tries to kill himself again.
1: Oh, right. This time
0: by sitting in the car in the garage.
1: Question for you. Yeah. Don't they put people on watch for, like, multiple attempts to, like, end their lives? They're happening in different cities.
0: (sighs) A couple have taken him to Warren, but other ones he ended up at different facilities. I mean, he's been getting put in psych facilities. And the thing is, they only keep (laughs) saying, like, oh... He's got depression and he drinks too much. He needs to stop drinking and this, and, and go to a doctor and he'll be all right.
1: Yeah, but don't they keep like a record for that kind of stuff? I don't
0: know if there's a national record for, for mental health issues. Huh. I mean, I think we, we found that in a lot of the cases we've discussed this year. Like even with Andrea Yates. Yeah. Like she had different doctors that were in different facilities and they were not all on the same page. And that's another factor, too. Every time you meet a new psychiatrist or a new therapist, they all have their own idea for their treatment plan and Mm -hmm. how they'll help you. Um, And so they might go against each other. Like, he, at one point, he was taking Xanax, so obviously they thought he had anxiety. Um, He was taking other uh, pills at the time for his depression and other stuff.
2: Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's how he
0: always had a cocktail of medicine to swallow
1: right, yeah. when he
0: wanted to end himself Stop. because they were trying to put him on stuff whenever he went into another Stop facility. Stop
1: giving him pills!
0: I also <laughs> wonder if he was even taking the medication after he left. But
1: Definitely not. But okay.
0: Well, they take him back to Warren County Crisis Center. After treatment, they're like, he seems stable. He returns home to a pile of bills and child support payment requests. There's letters from... Uh, lawyers, the bankruptcy didn't go through because he never paid all the fees. Uh, he went back to work on February 21st, 2000. He attempted to kill Stella Danielsik, uh with digoxin, but she actually survived. His colleagues at uh, Levi Valley in Salisbury, uh, they got suspicious and they couldn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. So they just started hovering. If he walked into a a room, they were like, oh, what you doing? Yeah.
1: What's going on here? (laughs) Hey, what's up?
0: They could, like, there was no way for them to legally report it. Like, other than just, like, it seems like Charles is up to something. So they were just going to be, like, a bother. Yeah. And so he actually quit in April of 2000.
1: God, that's so recent, though.
0: Every time from now on that he moves from hospital to hospital, people die. By we're talking April 2000, he survived four police investigations, Mm -hmm. two polygraphs, 20 suicide attempts. Whenever he would fill out a new application, he would tell them he had resigned for different reasons. He showed off the awards he had gotten from the other places. And he was honestly an ideal candidate. He preferred working the shifts that nobody else wanted, like holidays, late nights, weekends, weekends. He had experience in, in, in intensive care, critical care, cardiac care, ventilation, and burns. He had a bachelor in science in nursing. He had gotten certifications in advanced cardiac life support, intraortic balloon pumps, critical care certificates. He was on paper exactly what someone who's looking for a nurse wants. Right. Yeah. So July 2000, he works at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, PA. June 2001, Irene Krapp. 79 years old, dies. Then William Park, 72. Samuel Spangler, 80. Daniel George, 82. And Edward O'Toole. Whose name? Whose age? I did not write down, apparently.
2: Hmm.
0: All from digoxin. When suspicion falls on Charles, he leaves June 2002. July 2002, he starts working at the Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He didn't get a chance to kill anybody there, though, because by this point, the very small because here's the thing he's not just working in a small area people who don't live in pennsylvania and new jersey don't understand that like bethlehem is north of philadelphia so is allentown norristown those are like 40 minutes north of philly maybe yeah and so he's operating like roughly 40 miles north of philadelphia another 40 minutes west I'm sorry, East in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. There's still a very small area. We're talking about a hundred mile radius. People are talking about him. People who work with him are talking about him. People who worked at other places are finding out that their friends work with him and are like, yo, he left after like four people died. Yeah. So the rumors actually at Sacred Heart Hospital made him quit.
1: And now, obviously, you know, I work in a medical mm-hmm. field, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I know, like, a lot of the hospitals are co- connected. Yes. And I'm surprised. I mean, they're
0: more connected now because of those yes. big medical connect, like, you know, like. A, the
1: corporations. Are the
0: corporations like now that own a lot of them. Yeah. Like UPMC. And
1: you got Geisinger. Like, and... Geisinger
0: owns a bunch of these in, in, in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like. But even then, like, you got to imagine, like, there's not a whole lot of people who work the schedule you work to. Yeah. You know, nurses work, like, these 12 hour shifts, and they do a couple of them, like, back to back and then they have a couple days off and things of that nature Mm -hmm. so it's a small insular community and roughly he's working like a hundred mile radius right he's never really going that far away from where he feels most comfortable
1: no you should he should have moved further right (laughs) if
0: he'd have been smart he'd have gone to like Erie. yeah or you know southwest
1: or yeah further south
0: yeah (laughs) But he stayed in this region. And I really don't understand why other than, I think this is a serial killer thing, where they like to kill where they feel comfortable. Hmm. But regardless, September, he only, he quit 16 days after starting at Sacred Heart because he didn't like that people were always talking about him.
1: Well, stop fucking killing people.
0: (laughs) So September 2002, St. Luke's reports Charles to the PA State Nursing Board. It's under probable unprofessional conduct. So September 26, 2002, the Pennsylvania State Nursing Board opens an investigation. So of course he heads right on over to New Jersey and gets a job at the Somerset Medical Center in Somerset, New Jersey. The PA Nursing Board concludes that he is liable for patient deaths and they share that information with the police. I don't know if maybe he was just feeling the squeeze because they come up, they determined that in January of 2003. Mm Mm-hmm february of 2003 he kills 15 people oh damn and that's why i said like in some vein he comes off as a serial killer Mm -hmm. but at this point this is a spree
1: yeah yeah
0: so starts with uh this starts the somerset medical center eleanor stoker 60 joyce mangina 71 uh giacoma toto Sorry, Giacombino, Toto, 89, Florian Gall, 68. That's the one that's going to bite him in the ass because Florian was irreverent and people were very interested as to why he died. Uh, Krishna It's a uh, upadie 70, James Strickland, 83, Edward Zizek, 73, all digoxin overdoses. At that point, Somerset's like, we need to lock down most of our medication so any medication over a certain level they decided that they were going to be more strict with Mm -hmm. digoxin was on that list all of a sudden patients are getting too much norepinephrine that kills john shittiger 83 dorothea hoagland 80 michael Strenko, 21 he was just there for a, a spleen repair christopher hargrove 38 and then he switches it again to Melvin Simcoe, 66. He dies from an overdose of sodium nitroprusside. I just, that sounds awful. I just die from too much salt. Mm. And Pasquale Napolitano, 80, is murdered by an overdose of dobutamine. It's believed that Frances Agoda, 80, was a potential victim, but she she recovered too fast. Pretty much she was discovered and they were able to reverse the effects of the drugs. Somerset is just like, we don't know what's going on, but it centers around this guy. And so they report him to the Somerset County Prosecutor's Office. He's fired and arrested October 3rd,
2: 2003. Or
0: correction, he's put on leave. Okay. That investigation by Somerset, it's so it started like before the spree happens they look into the risk managers for Somerset Medical Center and begin looking into his previous employers and there's a lot of mysterious deaths surrounding him they tell that to the police the police on a whim decide to check his record and they see the file on the Michelle Tomlinson case there's a note on that file that said that he was being investigated for a suspected overdose at Easton Hospital at the same time that's when the police in Somerset make the connection they go, they go all the way back Even to St. Barnabas, where there had been no internal uh, investigation, they got his file from one of his supervisors, and that had the written notes of, like, not sending out drugs like he's supposed to, withholding meds, hanging on prescribed IVs, writing orders for insulin that are for nobody.
1: Right, right. Now,
0: St. Barnabas hadn't realized, like, those happened over a five-year period, and they were just write-ups. But now, in a condensed form, in the file, when the Somerset PD looked at it, they were like, "This seems real murder."y mm-hmm. And like they just thought he was a lazy lazy nurse who didn't do his paperwork. Now, as they started going, like, "Okay, where did he work before this?" because they're following the resume and they're going to one hospital and that hospital saying he came from here, and they're kind of moving around like that. They find that a lot of the files from other hospitals have been destroyed or just lost over the years. But they do end up following the breadcrumbs and speaking to the other police departments, those other four, and the nurses who had reported him and the open investigations into him. Mm -hmm. Now, the real issue is this is all circumstantial. At this point, they don't know what he's using to kill people. And most of the bodies have been buried for so long at this point, because remember, his earliest victim is 16 years ago. Right. Yeah. They, it's not even worth exhuming anybody who died at Barnabas because there's no flesh anymore at that point. And they don't know what they were looking for. So how do you test for literally everything? So the family of Reverend, Florian, Gall was like, no, you can exhume the Reverend. This time they the autopsy said this definitely, like, because they hadn't done an autopsy on Reverend Gall. They just assumed elderly patient dies in the hospital whatever we're just gonna put him to rest and move on with our lives right this time they were like no 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 have your fun do this autopsy <laughs> that autopsy determines that he definitely died from an overdose so then new jersey pulls the new jersey pd pull his pikesis history what pikesis is is the medical program that shows what medicine you pull and even though you now what he was doing was he was going in pulling digoxin and then he would take it cancel the order mm-hmm. and act like he didn't need it so when it got like the the regular list got printed at the end of the month right. it showed that no digoxin had been pulled okay however they pulled the master records of everything that everybody had done
2: mm-hmm. and
0: it showed that multiple times he was pulling these out Then they discovered that he had coerced a fellow nurse to pull drugs from the system from time to time. They compared this to something called the Cerner patient record system, and it showed his time shifts compared to when the patients were in certain places. And what it also showed, I didn't know that they do this, but it's Mm -hmm. fucking brilliant. It also shows any time anyone accesses those patients' records. Oh, nice. So when he was there by himself late at night, just poking around yeah. looking to see who was more sickly than other people. They had a record of that because these weren't his patients.
1: Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it.
0: So then <clears throat> he would sabotage their IV and because of how they handle the situation, those IVs were already set aside. Mm-hmm. Like if we know that, you know, patient Z is going to have a heart transplant in a couple days and we want to put them on heparin ahead of time. That's already been set aside. So then he would go in and do that on his shift. And then on the next person's shift, when they gave that person the medicine, the actual nurse ended up giving them the medicine that killed them. Unknowingly. Uh. October 31st, 2003, Charles Cullen is officially fired from the Somerset Medical Center.
1: <laughs> on Halloween. Um, the
0: the official response was he let in his application. Mm- but it really is because two states were about to arrest him and charge him with murder. There was a detective uh, on the case; her name was Logren. Uh, and she ended up wearing a wire. And I think they decided that they would make it a woman because he was much more comfortable about women. Yeah. So she just at dinner afterwards. She's just like, "Listen, we know you're killing people. Just confess." And Charles tells her, "I'm not confessing anything. I'm going down fighting."
1: so you're confessing
0: <laughs> and so she's like okay and she leaves they arrest him officially december 12 2003 he refuses to talk to any police then when they're talking to him he's just denying it that didn't happen i don't know what you're talking about so they bang detective logan in again and she comes to talk to him and she's just like listen you need to confess he's like i don't want to And she's like, if you confess, you're going to give a lot of family solace. You don't have to drag all these people through a long, drawn-out trial. And so he tells her, while people are watching from outside, I have injected 30 to 40 different people with different things. December 15, 2003, they charge him with the murder of two patients, one of them being Reverend Gall, because they have real evidence in the tissue. Right, yeah. <clears throat> then on december 17th they transfer him to trent hmm. state psychiatric hospital to uh do some evaluations uh he agrees to surrender his new jersey nursing license pennsylvania had already canceled his other one he agrees to cop cooperate with the prosecution if they remove the death penalty from the table new jersey's like all right cool well, well,
1: why you've been trying to un and be alive. So this whole I time, I think the
0: Jersey was just like, "Nah, we just want this guy in and in forever."
1: I know, but he's been trying to unalive himself this whole time. So
0: he doesn't really want to die. He wanted the attention.
1: No, fuck that. You get attention for la- the last he was five was minutes. Nine, okay, he wanted to die. <clears throat>
0: but I think after, as a younger youngster, he realized that going, getting close to the edge but not going over the edge mm. was, in a sense, a, a weird comfort to him. Well, so they decided to bring him back January 2004 after the uh, psychological assessment. The hospital is like, listen, yeah, he's depressed, but like he's aware of what he's doing. If he decides to go to trial, he can stand trial. Back in Somerset, though, they push forward with these interviews and he just spills it all. He names the victims that we talked about today. He even admitted to a man with HIV who he didn't remember Back in the beginning of Barnabas, he said he had just been spiking random bags with insulin and most of those people survived. So here's the part where I got kind of mad when I was reading these... interviews him talking about how he had altruistic reasons for killing patients and i was entering their suffering so they didn't code and die by going into cardiac arrest or respiratory failure i'm like it sure seems to be counterproductive charles when the (laughs) medicine you're giving them makes them go into cardiac distress and their heart shut off also so many of his patients weren't terminal anymore <clears throat> As I said, one was 21, <laughs> another was 22. They were perfectly healthy. Yeah. Like that logic just doesn't stand. I don't care what you said, but what you did does not follow what you were saying.
1: No, your actions just nobody. And
0: like and also all those people who he was just spiking their their IV bags uh-huh. suffered for no reason. So if you're trying to end people suffering, you wouldn't be randomly causing people to go through diabetic distress. I had my sugars drop like insanely bad before. It was terrible. I couldn't feel my feet. All of a sudden, I couldn't see. Like, I-, I called the hospital and I was like, I can't even drink water right now. I don't know what's wrong with me. And they determined that, in fact, it was the opposite. I no longer had high blood sugar. It was now real low. But, like, that's not a fun time. It
1: doesn't sound like it at all.
0: So April 29th, 2004, he pleads guilty to 13 patient murders in New Jersey and two attempted murders. October 2004, he pleads guilty to killing Otterman Schramm. November 17th, he pleads guilty to five murders at St. Luke's and four more attempted murders at Lehigh Valley. December 16th, 2004, he pleads guilty to John Yango's murder, the first one that he admits to. Mm. In June of 2005, he pleads guilty to five murders at Hunterdon. On March 2nd, 2006, he is given 11 life sentences for the deaths of 22 patients and the attempted murder of three in New Jersey. He will not be eligible for parole until he serves 397 years in prison. Oh, my God. Then, just for a nice (laughs) cherry on top, Pennsylvania adds seven more life sentences (laughs) (laughs) for the, like, six patients who died here. We're like, you bloop.
1: Well, yeah, so you ain't getting out of here ever. Just
0: in case by some strange thing you somehow get like compassionate release or something, Pennsylvania's going to be like, "Nope, come on over.
1: <laughs> you can
0: spend the rest of your life over here with us.
1: We got you, buddy." <laughs>
0: now, simultaneously, the US government looks into if the hospitals were at fault. And that starts that inquiry starts in March of 2005. Roughly 20 lawsuits were filed against the hospitals by their families. Many of those documents are sealed now. Mhm. Um, A lot of the some of the patients' families who I read some of like, I read some of their impact statements at his sentencing, but the general consensus is none of us will ever feel safe in a hospital ever again.
1: It's very true.
0: Now, what the U.S. discovered was that there was a lack of requirement on a legal level to report suspicious behavior by medical workers, and if you did report it, there was it was a risk to your livelihood and your family because there was no legal protection for a whistleblower. Both New Jersey and Pennsylvania only required the hospital to report suspicious deaths that were like a big deal. So an 80-year-old's heart stopping isn't seen as very suspicious. They discovered that people were worried that if they reported it, it would look bad on the hospital, they'd open their hospital up to liability lawsuits. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and 35 other states added new laws that encouraged employees to be honest about other employees if they were suspicious and it incentivized superiors to be more honest in performance reviews. Hmm. New Jersey passed its first and then it was such a good model that pretty much all the other states followed the same thing. So first came the Patient Safety Act in 2004 and then the 2005 Enhancement Act which required hospitals to report serious preventable adverse events. And also report certain details about their employees to the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. So I like that specifically because it's reporting to a complete third party. Right. Yeah. Um, Those acts also mandate that all complaints and disciplinary reports against hospital workers must be kept for a minimum of seven years. Because some of those hospitals got rid of old records, there are whole blocks of time that are lost that we can't compare his work history and things like we did in Somerset.
2: Mm-hmm. So and lost.
0: for the people who died at those hospitals during those time, they don't know if it was natural or they were a victim, their family were a victim. And just like the discussion we had about Harold Shipman earlier this year, Anytime that a doctor or nurse is connected to a patient death and it's suspicious and that person's already in trouble for murdering patients, people just assume that all suspicious deaths are are that person. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why some people within the crime community say that Charles Cullen was actually a mass murderer who could have been responsible for up to 400 deaths and that we were only able to really catch him for 29 of those murders. Mm. But I am going to leave that up to everyone listening. Uh, uh, If you're listening on Spotify, there's going to be a question, and it's just going to say, do you think Charles Cullen only killed the 40 people he admitted to, or is it way more? And uh, maybe we'll read some of your answers next time when we come back.
1: Oh, poll! Oh, awesome. Nice.
0: And that's all for me today. Well. I know you knew about Charles Cullen, but did you learn something new?
1: Um... Yeah, I know he was married.
0: <laughs> you're like, listen, it's always so funny because you get like really like, how's this guy getting married so many times? I remember. Look. That. You were so like incredulous on Gary Ridgway.
1: How, and then he had girlfriends on mm-hmm. top of being married. how do you do that? And then you go out with. You're just what? over here
0: like, how do you girlfriend? <laughs> and you're a murderer. And then, I'm a nice person. I can't find anybody.
1: How do you girlfriend and you kill all these all these women? <laughs> maybe
0: um. we need to start going to bars. Can't do that, though. It's the Rona.
1: Maybe we should just have them. No, never mind. I was going to say something. It was going to be bad. Never mind. Oh, I wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we should have like a murderer's mentality now.
0: Oh, jeez. But you know what oh, though? Goodness. I you know I was like, what if, what if we did like an event that was like, you know, for people who love true crime, but then I'm like, I don't know if I want to date somebody who no. has to talk about who wants to talk about this for fun. No. I already do enough of it for work.
1: That's okay. So I think that. when I'm
0: like for fun, I want to like, I don't know, play zombie games or there you go. watch squid games, stuff like that. <laughs> Which is still dark, but it's fake dark. Not real, dog. It's not
1: real. As far as you know, it's not real. It's not happening. Yeah, who knows? Maybe there is
0: a, a, a group of billionaires who watch people kill each other for fun. I wouldn't put it past, you know, the Bezoses of the world.
1: Oh, my God. Ooh, maybe. Illuminati.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Illuminati's <laughs> definitely having death death races. Yes. But what's on the cryptid scale? Okay. Why well, is it a cryptid at all? It's
1: not cryptid today. Ooh. I'm actually talking about a topic. I'm, I'm going to do like a little topic reading with you today. Okay. Um. So, the end of the year is nearing. Hmm. Um. You know, that's all I usually think of when you know Thanksgiving, Christmas comes around. It's mm-hmm. just like, end of the year. Great. Let's go. Seasonal depression. Yes. Yeah, um, I'm aware <laughs> of that. Yeah. Um. Goodness i haven't missed seasonal depression at all i mean it was gone for a while then it came back
0: um i always (laughs) love that meme that's like uh regular depression bye and then seasonal depression walks through the door like hey (laughs) "Hey,
1: fuck you dude
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we don't get breaks what are we talking about here
1: well if you've been following us since the beginning of the podcast Oh, uh, you know that our podcast anniversary is coming up in January.
0: First week of January. Yeah,
1: it's going to be awesome. Um, so I thought it would be good to like go back to my roots of like when I went, like what I wanted to do when I started the podcast. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, and when I started my TikTok, what did I want to do? Did well,
0: you do anything with your TikTok, fam? Okay,
1: what did I want to talk about the most when I started the TikTok though?
0: I don't know. What did People the ask TikTok? Me, oh, on TikTok, did you finish your thing?
1: The, the thing? No, I did not finish the I thing. I knew you didn't finish it. But <laughs> Look, they asked me about it. I got like no one was watching it. Who cares? Anyway.
0: You gotta create a body of content, man.
1: I created the body. Nobody was attracted to that body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nobody was attracted
1: to the body. Oh goodness. Anyway what i wanted to talk about or what i was most interested in talking about when i started the podcast or started my tiktok or my creepy tiktok is my daughter and her creepy ass um
0: you talked about how you know she got the ghost in the bedroom
1: yeah that's the only one though there are other stories um Mm. yeah just more about like her communicating and just if you could get an audio
0: of her talking about it that (laughs) would probably go viral (laughs) yes and she tells you about the things she sees
1: that would be good if i can catch her doing that Uh, for some reason she doesn't talk about this stuff around me she does it with everybody else Mm. (laughs) but um actually like in the beginning of this week monday at practice um this actually put the topic into my head too okay um so my coach is
0: Coach is a listener.
1: Yeah, she is. Hey! (laughs) So she's, like, talking about, you know... So, you know, I told you about, like, the hat man and stuff like that. No? Okay, so she's seen the hat man. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're
0: you're at her old house.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's talking about that, and then she's talking about how her kids have seen it, and then how she's seen ghost kids there, and then other people, like another teammate she was like oh yeah well my son he was talking to this one lady blah blah and it's just like just ghosts he's like they talked to these ghosts
0: oh yeah no kids definitely like experienced yeah
1: yeah yeah and that's like it just like put an idea in my head I was, like what if we just talk about how kids are creepy sort something like that yeah <laughs> well,
0: i remember once when i was uh down in virginia that's where my one aunt and um my cousins lived for a little bit mm-hmm and my one cousin, when she was little, um, Natalie, she always talked about how, actually, she would <laughs> complain that her grandfather didn't leave her alone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, her grandfather died before she was born. That's my grandpa, Grandpa John. And she would be like, uh, she would come out of the room and be like, oh, he just wants to play with me. And I'm like annoyed. And like, but she's saying like little kid, like little kid voice. Mm-hmm. And so one time we were staying down there around Christmas time and she would wake up at the ass crack dawn because that's what children do and so i was laying on the couch and um a couple of us like my my sister and brother and i were also laying in the living room and trying to pretend that we were still asleep mm-hmm. and natalie comes over to me and she goes can i get in the couch with you too and i was just like two it's only it's only me on the couch natalie <laughs> and then she just leaves <laughs> i was very unhappy about this i might have been like 13 or 14 and i was just like Is it two two and then she like walked back in her little bedroom
1: she probably just met the t-o-o not the t-w-o
0: mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know we were all, all the whole family was together maybe maybe uh grandpa john was hanging out <laughs> apparently though he was watching over her from an un- a young age oh, She, her mom had a lot of uh health issues while she was pregnant mm-hmm. and so but yeah she was always seeing stuff now she's like 13 but yeah maybe even older than that she may be like 15 16 now no i don't care I'm about, about ages but yeah kids see stuff and they're it's weird and also another thing i don't like is when kids um be talking about past lives randomly
2: <laughs> and they're just be like too. yeah
0: i remember you i was in heaven and i was looking at you and i was like cool <laughs> okay whatever and then i came down here and now we're sisters and i'm like "Shh." Uh,
1: that's awesome
0: super creepy
1: that's amazing or, um,
0: actually one of my friends on facebook was telling me the story the other day where um her one of her children told her yeah, when I was inside of you, I got hungry. And her mom was like, his, his Mom was like, what? And she's just like, yeah, I got hungry. That's why there's only one of me. <laughs> and legitimately, apparently she had never told anybody she that she had twins. <laughs> and like, when she went to her doctor, the doctor, she was like, oh, did I like expel one of them? And The doctor was like, no. The other one consumed the other, the other one. Because uh... she had been having all these health issues. And then I guess... The one baby ate the other one. And then from that point on, it was smooth sailing. And so apparently this child, now like five years old, is like, oh, yeah, no, I totally ate my brother.
1: <laughs> I love it, it.
0: Listen, don't worry about it. He'll come back later. I think uh, no, you we know was. Oh. <laughs> and then the other kid told her, you know, I didn't want to be a boy anyway. So the other one.
1: Oh, said
0: that they came back as the other baby later. Look,
1: look here, okay. Child. <laughs> and I was like, these
0: two children. I was like, I need your children to stop being weird. Ah. But yeah, that's because the they were sitting in the kitchen, and the one was like, "Yeah, I ate my brother." And then the other little girl went, "I didn't want to be a boy anyway."
1: That's awesome. I liked it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> so
0: tell me more about what Cassandra's told you.
1: Okay, so I'm not going say that right now, oh. but um. First, I'm going to start talking. uh, So I want to go over, like, the psychology and then, like, the spiritual aspect of, like, kids seeing ghosts. And what do they really see when they're, like, looking, when they see ghosts or seeing something? Oh, no, I used to see shadows when I was little. Yeah. But what if it's, like, something that's not...
0: Right. They sometimes see corporeal stuff. Yeah. But I never Mm -hmm. saw that. I saw, like, shadows wiggling around.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So now, can kids actually see spirits or not? That's or is it just in their heads? Is what I'm. So, did you? How
0: well, do you know?
1: You don't know
0: if it's a imaginary friend, or if it's a ghost.
1: Are you a medium? You have to be a medium. Get well, a medium you know up what? in here. I don't have that. Going <laughs> for me. So. Sometimes well actually most of the times, um, our minds make connections between events, whether they're connected or not. Mm-hmm. Um and kids might, you know, watch something with something spooky in it, like maybe like a ghost in it, like not not like a scary something like like Casper. They would watch something like Casper friendly ghost or something like that. Or they overhear you talking about um
0: I don't know, I wanted to be a witch when I was a child. <laughs> didn't realize it was a thing you could actually be
1: yeah yeah it is (laughs) (laughs) Or they they hear you talking about like grandma joiner or somewhere someone like that along the lines and then like a couple days later come and like yeah grandma joiner was talking to me the other day blah blah blah, and then you didn't know that they were listening to you having this conversation with somebody and they just come up with like you know what i mean
0: well and then what about (coughs) poltergeist
1: what about poltergeist
0: they're supposed to be, like, a manifestation of, like, preteens and teenagers' angst.
1: Is that what they guys are supposed kind to be? Kind of. <laughs> i never heard of that.
0: They're saying that, like, the poltergeist can be fueled by someone going through intense emotions in a home. Okay, yeah, yeah. And very yeah. frequently, it's the friggin' teenager or preteen going through intense emotions. I mean... Listen, life's tough when you're young. Life's tough in general, if you're listening and you actually are young.
1: This is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, like they can hear like some other kid's name in passing, and then boom, there's like a little girl named Sasha who talks to them <laughs> at the top of the stairs.
0: Are we speaking from?
1: It's uh, just regular
0: things, real uh, experiences, right now, Brian? No, just is one. there is there a little girl named Sasha who hangs out outside your bedroom? No,
1: not. hey sure? I would hope not, because, <laughs> look, my, the way my, my bed is facing my door, it, I, I'd just sit up and I'd see somebody just standing there. Oh, that would be
0: awful. It would
1: be terrible. So, no thank you. I don't want to envision that.
0: But Sasha wants to hang out with you.
1: No, that's okay. Um, I, I wrote other things that <laughs> Sasha did, but I'm not going to talk about her right
0: now. See? She is real. <laughs> she's
1: not real.
0: <laughs> this you is something I made it. up. Sasha's real. Uh, I'm going to ask. <laughs> and be like, Sandra, tell me about Sasha. Oh my god. She'll probably make up something. She will probably make something
1: up. Like, oh Sasha, like, yes, listen, I talk to no, her all no, the time. Sorry, tell
0: me about the ghost outside daddy's room.
1: Oh my god. Or okay, think of it this way. That uh, the kid might just be projecting their emotions. Onto- oh, absolutely.
0: Like the situation oh. with that stupid ass animal in the wall. <laughs> that was completely made up by that family. Oh, uh. Oh, you By that kid who was just, was just, just having, having a good time. And people were like, oh, it's a real mongoose. I'm like, or this child is just having fun.
1: Or Yeah, she's bored out of her mind. Yeah. And was- like,
0: my situation with that one wasn't that the kid came up with this fun, outlandish concept. Mm-hmm. It's that the grown ups went, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. This is real.
1: This is real. Let's call Harry Houdini.
0: <laughs> Let's call Harry Houdini and ask him about the mongoose and the, the walls. Oh,
1: goodness. But yeah, it's like after like it could be something like they're bored or like even after like they're being punished by a parent or a caregiver or something like that and
0: i mean th- and obviously that's why you know we look for confirmations and things yeah yeah, yeah. but for me the ones that always get me are the kids having access to things that they're not supposed to know this is true too i mean there there's whole forums devoted to kids talking about past lives and they just talk about things. I'm like, how do you know about this time in history? I didn't even know about this time in history. And now you're just talking about it. Like, the, that stuff is the the interesting stuff, at least for me. That's what I think about.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, think about it. Like, you're, you're, you're um, you know, you're disciplining one of your children. And then, uh, boom, uh, she comes to you and she's like, oh, uh, Sally says she doesn't like you. And, and like, who's Sally? Oh, the girl that lives in my closet.
0: You know, and that's perfectly fine. You know what? It's just, I think what would alarm me in that moment would be like, and that's why Todd said he's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, That's the one that would alarm me. Yes. I'm like, excuse me? Who's Todd?
1: Yeah, Where, Where's Todd live? Oh, goodness. You remember that Facebook post you told me about? Which? It, it's okay. So I, I wrote down, like, it's something like, um, if you're if your child comes to you saying like little Sally doesn't like in a closet, doesn't like you, then you shouldn't be asking what's wrong with my child. You should be asking yourself what's wrong with me. That little Sally doesn't like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah.
0: Yeah. That was the one about like, Oh, this ghost lives here and they don't like you. And I'd be like, what'd I do wrong?
1: Yeah. Like, what am I doing to make this ghost mad? What, what did I do to you <laughs> to make you mad? <laughs> like that could be like something like they're projecting that onto the ghost and, they're just like but
0: i gotta say this Mm -hmm. like i've watched a bunch of like ghost movies and things and there's always that one where they're like who stole my keys and they're like timmy stole your keys and like the kids like crying and the parents like no it was you and i'd be like you know at some point when the weird stuff happens i guess i just gotta believe in my child yeah like when they're like listen timmy the doll stole your shit I'm just going to have to be like, "All right, okay. Well, what do we do now, honey?" <laughs> because I need to go somewhere. Yeah. And you are swearing to me that you didn't do it. What now? But yeah. I don't know.
1: Who who knows? But I know children project a lot. And it may not just be like the own ghosts, but they project like different types of way. Mhm. Um uh, <clears throat> So another thing to think about is that kids they don't see the world as we do it. Mm-mm. So <laughs> sometimes it just is a frightening place for them. And like I always, I always when I think of that, when I think of this, I always go back to that episode of Rugrats. Okay, mm-hmm. Cassandra watches Rugrats all the time. She's watched the series like about I don't know, like twenty times the whole freaking series plenty of times
0: all i don't know
1: why but (laughs) this same (laughs) episode pops up every time i see her watching it and it's what chucky gets a new bed okay and like he's moving out of his like his crib so his dad gets him a new like a big kid's bed so goodness okay now i can't see anyway 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 he gets a new big his bed, and then he's frightened by it because, you know, it's it's different, and then he thinks there's a monster underneath of it, too.
0: hmm
1: So, first off, Chaz fucked up, okay? As Chucky's dad. You fucked up. What do you mean? Because, for one, he did not talk to Chucky about this. Chucky's two year old, two years old, okay? You could talk to your kid about, hey we're gonna move you out of your crib we're gonna get you a big guy a big right bed.
0: right and he already knew his son was real anxious right and he, no he was ho- just like look what i got you this new bed yeah so exciting
1: no and it, it's, it's it's fucked up because <laughs> he's he like, just it, like i don't like this he's so I don't like want a new bed you know, chaz is like well, well dd's like uh because you know he has dd over there helping him move everything and then she's like, did you tell Chucky Did Chucky know he's getting a new bed? And Jazz is like, oh, Chucky will be fine. And then Chucky. He screams
0: as soon as he sees it. Yes,
1: Chucky goes into his room just to like show everybody his perfect crib that he loves so much. And then he just sees the bed and he he's starts. like,
0: where is this? What is bawling. this? Balling.
1: He starts balling. I'm like, just, just talk to your kid. Like, even if he's two years old, he understands what's going on. So. Communicate, Chaz. I hate Rugrats because now that I'm a parent and I'm watching this, I'm like, you guys are fucking stupid.
0: <laughs> I love that episode where Stu is making the pudding for Angelica.
1: I'm like, little girl, you not bossing me around. And he's just you like, not why am me I around. up
0: here making pudding in the middle of the night? Because
1: I've lost control of my life. Because
0: <laughs> I've lost control of my life. Oh, God.
1: Cool
0: in a very intense way. And yet, somehow, I still want to be a parent. I don't know what's going on with me. <laughs>
1: But yeah, he knew how Chucky was. He just, he just fucked up on that one. Um. So anyway, the monster that's under Chucky's bed is—it turns out to be one of Chaz's busty, ugly ass uh, sweaters. Um. And it, it, you it, like
0: feelings about these sweaters don't you? look
1: here. That sweater was ugly. It had like a zigzag pattern across the. Ch- for what reason? I <laughs> look. Mm. <laughs> I, that was not the, that was not the drip back then I don't get it Chaz anyway
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> insult in Chaz's fashion spots. I
1: don't care I don't, like out of all the pairs on Rugrats I don't I think Jazz is like the least like I like him the least
0: yeah but he was dealing with the grief of his wife dying okay I
1: get that but he's just uh, 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 I don't know. <sighs> I don't, I just don't like him.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> and then I was watching Rugrats in Paris the other day with the kids and then how he fell in love. So freaking like that, come on now. <sighs> he just saw, he just, he just saw right past those red flags. We're not talking about Rugrats, we're talking about kids. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, just feel really strongly about Rugrats because I watched them. I watch it a lot now. <laughs> More than I did as a kid, and it's really, really messed up. <clears throat> That's okay. Anyway, my point is that kids see things in a different light. uh Definitely, pun intended, because he did see that sweater in a dark time. And then, like, <clears throat> not only kids, but sometimes you know, I I do see things like even like. I'm pretty sure adults see things differently at night, especially like when you're sleep deprived and you're just like, you see something out the corner of your eye. It looks a little off to you. Like, is that a shadow? Person like looking at me from the top of my damn stairs?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you look, and there's nobody there. So was it? No.
0: Okay.
1: I, it happens a lot though, so I'm pretty sure there's something there <laughs> on my stairs. I'm.
0: You're just <clears throat> having a real tough time, huh? At
1: home, it's like <laughs> I'm <seeing laughs>
0: <laughs> i shouldn't make fun of you but it's funny
1: it's like i just like because my, my computer the way my computer is set up i am looking towards the front door and my stairs lead up like from the front door see
0: that's where you messed up uh,
1: whatever and, <laughs> and then What's i can see for? i can always see if there's somebody like peering over the side of the you know, the railing
0: yeah like one of your weird kids
1: yeah because they do that a lot actually Jaden oh, does. i, that I don't all the time. like that at all <laughs> and every time i look there and it's dark and i'm just looking and i'm like is there somebody no okay i'm just go back to I watching my show i always
0: feel like somebody's <laughs> watching me
1: all the time oh my goodness <clears> oh <throat> anyway one more thing um the child seeing ghosts might just have an imaginary friend like you said mm-hmm. um And just somebody that they're just sitting in the corner talking to that, you know, you can't see. They can kind of see because they're in their mind and they're just, you know, communicating with them. It's not like a ghost, so don't freak out about that. Um, One thing I will say about just handling kids in their fear or kids in ghost period when they Mm -hmm. tell you about ghosts is just not to freak out about it or show them that you're you're scared everything yeah like talk to them normally okay well what what's you know what's billy saying oh yeah oh is he is he nice to you is he saying nice things to you oh okay okay well okay go have fun then um, as long as he's not, you know, being really me to you. Billy told me he's gonna eat me. Oh, then oh, we're then gonna
0: feed do... me to the blood of virgins. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <off. laughs> I don't even know what words came out of my mouth just now.
1: Oh my God! Feed you to the blood of virgins. I don't
0: <laughs> feed my blood.
1: Oh, to virgins,
0: monsters.
1: Oh goodness gracious!
0: <clears throat> but
1: yeah, don't don't I just, I'd say don't be dismissive when your kids come to see you and they're like. Hey, I saw such and such up in your in your room or in your closet, and you're just like, oh, whatever. You're just you know seeing things, or you're just a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Just you know, go look with them, and it'll be fine. <clears throat> so, you were bringing up some spiritual stuff. I'm going to talk about some spiritual stuff too. Nice. Um. So now on the flip flop, maybe they are seeing um. I made another name up, Betty Sue, hiding out by the shoes. Oh my
0: god! <laughs> Why would you choose that
1: name? I don't know. It just popped in my head. Um, now it's it's not that kids have it's not that kids have like a heightened sense of I guess heightened like sixth sense that they can that makes them see ghosts. It's just that kids are more innocent and they don't have that. Ghosts aren't real, filter over their eyes.
0: Nah, I'm gonna assume what it is is that, like, the older you get, the more cynical you become.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, now that we're older, we're just like, eh, ghosts, whatever. Who we cares? can't even
0: accept, like, a heartfelt story on Facebook. <laughs> no. It has to be, like, oh, of all the times that didn't happen, that didn't happen the most. <laughs> and then Einstein clapped. Like, we're so <clears> cynical. <throat> it's pretty awful, actually of course kids are gullible but it's a thin line
1: yeah but they're they're more innocent they're definitely more innocent than we are um than adults i'd say and like depending on the spirit or ghost uh kids kids will probably see a ghost as like a normal person like if unless it's a a ghost or spirit with like their head in their arms they got beheaded and they're just carrying their arm and their head around. I'm pretty sure it's not a thing, not like I near- just
0: like you know carrying a head around my arm.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not a thing that people just pe- seems
0: like a good time, you know.
1: I, I, I remember stories of hairless ghosts, but yeah,
0: goodbye, <clears throat> <Ichabod> crane.
1: Yes, <laughs> headless horsemen. Um, but yeah, like kids just see like these ghosts as like normal people, as in like they they belong. There, they're just like, for instance, you have you ever seen like a baby just giggle at nothing? They're yeah. just looking at the corner, just giggling and just waving to it,
0: sweet little adorable babies, yeah, just
1: waving at sweet little adorable ghosts,
0: witnessing Beelzebub,
1: <laughs> yes, right in your corner. Just hey, hi, ghost, hi, ghost. And it's just, uh, doesn't, they baby kids don't know their babies and kids don't know their ghosts. They just know that there's another person in there, and they're making funny faces at them. So, like, if your kid is actually like interacting with a, a ghost, they're obviously not scared of it. Mm-hmm. They're not. They I don't know. Scared. Like, if they're interacting, with, like saying hi and stuff, they're talking to it. And <sighs> well, okay, eh, sure. okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but like, if they're like running to you, like. Billy said something scary to me. He's going to eat my soul or something like that. And then that's that's when you're like, okay, let's call a priest and see what we can do about this now. Like, don't just don't just assume your kid's crazy and then go see a therapist. (laughs) Like, we need to go. But
0: if your kid thinks they're possessed, you have to see a therapist first.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're not talking about possessions. We're talking about just seeing things. <clears throat> now you might feel creeped out yourself because well it's it's fucking creepy when kids see when say they see things that aren't there um even even um even when they're older and they just start talking like they start talking about like like you said relatives they've never met before and they're just like Yeah, um, grandma is, you know, she's talking to me, saying hi, and you just, like, think of, like, hey, they have a nice spirit that's watching. over True, true.
0: My grandfather, lovely man. Yeah, see? She was always safe.
1: That's all you gotta think of. Um, well, yeah, I've already gone over just the don't be dismissive, don't be an asshole. (laughs) Okay. So, do you want to hear some stories I found, and I'll tell you... And then I'll tell you a story about Cassandra <laughs> after the stories.
0: All right. Get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost time.
1: Okay. Where is this? So I can. Not this one. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. <clears throat> oh, well, okay. Let me tell you this, this first one. It's from my, t- my teammate she was there at practice um her derby name is ruby okay wrecker Um, what up ruby (laughs) so she was talking about how her son like you know he sees ghosts and stuff like this and then one day he comes and runs to her like he's 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 upset and he's like mommy am i gonna be on a naughty list and she's like no why and she's like and he's like because the lady said that i'm gonna be on the naughty list and she's like what lady is saying this to you he's like the lady that's standing right behind you and i was like what
0: i would just be like listen she'll make the rules here i say what i say to my kindergartners who's in charge and they'd be like you and i'm like exactly I will not lead you astray.
1: Oh my God! But yeah, that was just like I'd fight that. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't. Like I don't fight ghosts, but I'm. I'm. A, look, meet Ghostbuster today.
0: <laughs> to quote Missy Elliott, "See, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but I crack your teeth." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God! Where is it at? I think I have it somewhere. I think this is it right here with these. Stinking stories. Okay. Um. No, that's not it. <laughs> Goodness gracious! You should really have to use things, uh, whatever. I'm going to read this one I found. Um. It says sometimes kids claim they see some weird things, and this story is about one of those times. <clears throat> So, one child told her mother about a really strange experience they had, and she took to the internet to find out whether or not other parents had experienced something similar with their kids. So, first she noticed that something was amiss when her son did not want to sleep by himself. He was seven at this time, and like, Jaden's seven, he don't sleep by himself all the time. And he usually slept in his own bed. So his mom uh found out that he'd been seeing a very dark figure walking around the foot of his bed.
0: It's fine. It's fine. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> Just keep telling the terrible story, Brian.
1: Like that's where it ends. I don't I don't get it. Like
0: there's no more?
1: It doesn't it doesn't say any more. It just leaves you on a cliff. It got anger. to the
0: worst part.
1: I know, I know, it's oh. terrible.
0: Oh, I don't like it. It's just like bad stuffs happening.
1: Bad <sighs> stuff's happening. He just saw. He just saw a something walking around the foot of his bed.
0: I was like, "Come on, next part. Come on, what happened?" And <laughs> that's
1: it. <laughs> Did
0: it. Who's that from?
1: Where is it from? Like where I find it?
0: Yeah. What well, thought some of these are from people you knew?
1: No, not that one. Oh, okay. That no, this is Dang one it. I found. Sorry, sorry, That's sorry. That's a bummer,
0: because then you could ask people questions.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I should have asked um, the Bauer if she tell me more about her kid scene.
0: <sighs> I'm just saying. I need to know what happened to the baby.
1: It just says that.
0: <sighs> I don't like that. No. No cliffhangers.
1: That's what it did Come on.
0: Me. Did we save the house? What did we do? He, no. Did she just we walk just walk around the foot of the bed?
1: Yeah. Just, he just ran to her room, and he just... It was like, I don't want to see <laughs> the ghost anymore. Oh, goodness. Poor baby. Okay, so this one is called, like, it's titled, like, Pajama Clad boy.
2: boy.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, so this one, is says, when we were looking at condos to purchase our first place, Claire was, I guess, um, th- this is the daughter, Claire, uh-huh. was just shy of her third birthday. We brought her with us to all of our showings because we wanted to see how comfortable she was, um, you know.
0: Oh, at, with the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> uh,
1: when we walked through the door of the place, we ultimately bought the second floor of a 1911 Chicago brick three flat. Okay. Um, we all knew immediately that it was the right place. That evening, I asked Claire if she thought that place would be a good home for her, and her response was, yes, and the little boy that lives there is really nice, too. This took me aback, but I was tired, but I tried to remain calm. Mm -hmm. I asked her what she meant, and she said there was a little boy in his pajamas that she saw in a dining room. Oh, She said he had waved at her. He was about her age, and he was only in the dining room. She knew his name, which I don't remember now, and that he was afraid of water. After she went to bed that night, I looked up ways to clear the energy of a home, how to communicate with the ghosts so they don't bother your family, and anything else I could find to make sure at least I could be comfortable living in this otherwise perfect condo. Okay. Claire Claire never talked about him again.
0: Oh, thank goodness!
1: (laughs) Not even the next day when I asked her to tell my husband. And this is from a mother, of course. Okay, so the next one is a shorter. It wasn't terrible. No, no, no. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, next one is not not all that good. Um, my son was around two at the time. We were driving past the cemetery when he said, Look, Mama, dead people.
0: (laughs) That's just funny.
1: (laughs) Yes, darling, I responded.
0: It's not scary at all. That's just funny.
1: Yeah, no. And then then he goes, Kids! He continued. After he continued, matter of factly. And sure enough, we were passing by the children's section. Curious, I asked if the kids were happy or sad. Happy mama, he said. They are running around that daddy. All I saw was a man standing alone with his head dropped. Oh, it warmed my heart.
0: (sighs) That sounds awful. Well, I mean, you know, if you got to lose your children, at least they can harass you posthumously. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. There you go. There's a silver lining in everything, I guess.
0: You like? Oh, are goodness. playing a video game at your house, and all of a sudden, you just hear. What you playing? Is that Bendy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god, no! What you playing? Oh my god! Are you on
0: your? Are you playing with your friends?
1: My god! All oh, right, this is adorable. Yeah. So. This one. Uh, we bought our current house from a man who was married for 40 plus years. Okay. His wife passed away a couple years before we bought the house. One evening, while tucking my two and a half year old into bed, he said, Mama, night-night to the grandma. What? Mama, night-night to the grandma. While pointing to the hallway between my room, his room and mine.
0: He was telling her, you're being rude. Say goodnight to the grandma.
1: And... I guess that was her room. The, the Yeah. The guy's wife's room.
0: Yeah, you said <coughs> you're being rude. Say goodnight to the grandma.
1: <laughs> Let's see. I got a couple more. Um, when we moved into our house, Leo, who was two and a half years old, mm-hmm. was seeing a ghost. He would say, ghost, and point to the dining room table.
0: How did he know that word?
1: I don't see I yeah, <laughs> where did he learn this stuff from?
0: See that's what's peculiar. How did he know what a ghost was
1: so one day I mentioned Mr. Hutchinson to someone while giving a history of the house, and Leo say Leo says, Mr. Hutchinson, my ghost friend um we confirmed with a A house cleaner that someone attached to the home, like a grandfather figure, was here. So a a house cleanser. I I read that wrong. I was going to say. A house cleanser, a medium, that there's someone attached to the home, like a grandfather figure, was here. And attached to Leo's light and innocence. We have since had our house cleansed twice. That's from a mama. Um, my then four-year-old would tell me about a little girl who wanted to play with her she apparently wanted to play all hours of the day and night
0: that is what my my uh my cousin used to complain about oh goodness she's like i want to go to bed
1: <laughs> when i was finally able to sort out what was up with my daughter in the middle of the night i left this little ghost some toys in an upstairs closet so she could play by herself. Aw. <laughs> she Creative. had a st- <laughs> Yeah. See, this is what you gotta do. You gotta get on the kids level. Um she had a stuffed lamb and a stuffed duck, and I used them to find and I used to find them moved most mornings. Oh. Yeah. The four-year-old shared a room with her sibling, so I know it wasn't her moving the toys. <clears throat> Ooh. And this is probably the last one. I'm gonna write, read. Um, my then four year old would tell me about a little girl who wanted to no no my my bad it's the same four year old it's it's a four it's another four year old. Um, Ender Ender is the should, the kid's name. Oh yeah. No okay. okay. Um, four year old. Um, Minecraft fan. probably um will tell us stories about the little girl who shuts doors and turns off the lights he can't tell us what she looks like or where she goes I don't think about ghosts or anything that would give Ender this idea well I don't talk about ghosts or anything that would give Ender this idea the last time the little girl was here I heard a door slam I ran in and asked him if he had closed it he told me no the little girl did because she didn't want to play. So that's um, All right, Ender. Yeah.
0: I don't like that name for a child.
1: Neither do I. I am not gonna judge, but you got you name your kids whatever you Feels want to name. Dark. Um now let me look for this story real quick. So this is a story about Cassandra. Okay? And this happened when she was Spending the night at her grandparents' house, okay. And um, this 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 happened all on one night, and it was just two different incidents. Says, okay, so um, this is from uh, her auntie that she, I asked her, I asked her like to send me this like last year, and she sent it to me. I was going to make a video of about it, oh, but okay. I never did, so here we go. All right, so this is what the text says. <clears throat> I was like. I asked her, I was like, hey, send me that creepy shit Cass was saying to you the other day. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So she's like, so the one day you're in the kitchen and I just turned out the lights because the lamp was on in the living room. I was standing in by the coffee pot uh, counter and Patty, that's, that's Cass's. Nick, that's what they call Cass Patty. Okay. Um, it comes up to me and was like, and, and was like pointing to the skinny cabinet in the corner, and she's like, "There's something in there, T.T." <laughs> I was like, "What?" Yep. Never mind. Don't want to hear that. So I turned, <laughs> I turned the light back on. So then I'm over by the microwave in the fridge, and she's like, "Those two people are over there arguing." and they're really loud. Mm. I asked her where and she pointed over near the living room. So then she goes it's okay though. They just went down there and pointed to the vent. So we went to bed. All right. <laughs> um okay, so now it's a different so it it was the night and then the next day. Um so the next day when we we're going to bed she kept saying she needed to watch Dr. Hellman. Okay. Um, He was a surgeon from my understanding. But anyways, I put it on and then she turns the computer towards the, the closet doors as if something was watching it and is like, no. <laughs> then turns the computer back facing her while rewinding and moving the bar forward like she was trying to find something. So okay, she was I guess something someone was talking to her because they wanted to watch Dr. Hellman, oh, and they they wanted to watch her from their spot in the closet, and then Cass was like, "I guess they were talking to Cass and and she's like, "No, and then she turns it around she's like she's trying to like find where they're talking about in the video
0: mm. that is interesting, mm-hmm
1: and and she goes she's like i feel like there was more there was a few more that happened but i can't remember right now but yeah this this all happened i think um like one time she was talking about like their grandma and she's like just cast just talking about and she she passed before Cass was even born okay and they're like how do you even know who that is you know, talk about her <laughs> around mm-hmm. you like that. So, yes, yes, my daughter can see something. Something, she sees something, and then I don't know if I told, I talked about it on here, but about the freaking bat in the closet. When was that? Remember, like the bat creature that she was talking about to Tara.
0: Oh, right, in her mom's room.
1: Yeah, and I get a text at work saying you need to do something with your daughter and i'm like what are you talking about and like and and tara's like um she's saying that she sees uh some some something in my closet and it doesn't like me <laughs>
0: what are you supposed to do about it
1: was <laughs> like well i can't help you out now i'm at
0: work right
1: <laughs> and and she's like and if she texts me again she's like she says it's like some type of bat creature that's in the closet and I'm like it sounds like
0: there's a cryptid in your house. And I'm like, "Well, I'll and check it like out when I get take home." take pictures.
1: <laughs> if I see it, I'll
0: take pictures. A new cryptid. It's
1: probably in the, in the attic
0: now. Why?
1: Cuz it's probably not in the closet anymore.
0: Why wouldn't it stay in the closet?
1: Cuz it's cold now.
0: Is the closet cold? i don't know probably look, the attic would be colder wouldn't it i don't
1: look i'm not making sense okay i'm just saying things. all
0: right just to listen
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but well, yeah there we go that's what i got for you that was a good talk i guess
0: fun day fun day i like talking about
1: creepy kids okay creepy, creepy kids, kids are, are awesome. good yeah they're good and fun to talk about
0: and thank you so much for listening and you'll hear from us again. Yeah. After Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. Have a good Thanksgiving Every or
0: holiday or whatever it is you might listen. If you don't have fun with the holiday, enjoy your time off.
1: Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Goodbye.